On January 1st, the world witnessed the 13th global CMHS. Due to the CM taking place on New Year's Day, the Aguda was able to begin the event at a time convenient to most time zones around the world. So this year's CM might have been more global than ever before. Large gatherings took place all over the world that were able to live stream the event. But for those in attendance, it was an experience that can only be equaled once every seven and a half years. For those who missed out and were unable to watch from home, or for those looking for a review of the CM, we have you covered. This is going to be a little different than previous episodes. Until now, every show has been an interview with experts on certain topics. Not this one. Because this week on the Jewish Living Podcast, we recap the 13th Global CMHS. The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. The first thing you noticed as you walked through the parking lot of MetLife Stadium was the sense of calm. I don't know if you've ever been to a game day parking lot before kickoff, but it is wild. Fans are drinking and barbecuing before the game, chants starting, one or two fights break out that have to be quelled by security. Nothing remotely close to that happened here. Sure, there were a few brave souls who were tailgating, but that was more of a shtick thing. Most people weren't really interested in braving the 37 degree weather more than they actually had to. And the quicker you got into the stadium, the sooner you could take out your blankets. When we interviewed Rabbi Leibish Becker about the CM prep, he mentioned, Most people, it was very interesting, the reaction we got, they were a little insulted that we asked them. They said, you know, if they can go for a football game in this weather for Tyra, I shouldn't be willing to, you know, put it up a little <laughs> cold for a few hours. Like, well, why do you ask me this question? You know, <laughs> they actually want, they, they would like wanted to prove their medals. That's look right. Me, look, everybody, Shalom, I'm willing to sit out here in the cold for this. But don't kid yourself. It was cold. And in case you didn't know it already, the Baal Tefillah from Mincha summed it up perfectly. Freezing. And we were off. If you've ever attended an NFL game, you know how loud a stadium full of 90,000 people can get. But if you've never had the chance to daven in a stadium full of 90,000 people, you'll never know how quiet 90,000 people can actually be. The close to 10-minute Shemona Esrei was quieter than any so-called moment of silence can be before a sporting event, and those only last for about 10 seconds. After Mincha, Rabbi Chaim David Zweibel, Executive Vice President of the Aguda, led off festivities with a welcome message and highlighted the trying times we find ourselves in, but made sure to tell us that Our only hope in these turbulent times is to hold tight to the Daf HaSafina, the Blat Gemara that defines our existence as Hashem's chosen people. But the Aguda made an extra effort to make this Simcha not about the sense of tragedy that has been going on, but really about all those that finish Shas. And, as Rav Malkiel Cutler explained, That's a tremendous, tremendous Simcha that Claudius as a whole. Learn Shas, and the Shas belongs to all of us. All of us were enriched by this Shas. So I decided that it is imperative to get the stories of those who spent the last several years making the attempt to finish Shas. So I went out into the crowd and looked for the stories of some of the Messiahmen. Those interviews will be sprinkled in throughout this episode. As a matter of fact, let's do one of those now. So I'm here with Josh Lipschitz from Fairlawn, New Jersey. Josh Mazatov, I hear you are completing your CM this year. Yes, thank you so much. First time's a charm. And you're planning on doing it again next next round? Yeah, we have, I have two days to decide. 
Uh, but I think I'm going to be in again for round two. So let me ask you a question. It's freezing cold out here. What do you think about all these people just sitting out here and listening to speeches for, for three, four, five hours on Talmud Torah? Um, I think we're a little bit crazy in, in the best of ways. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge, it's a huge Kiddush Hashem. I'm excited, excited to be part of it. Great. And advice for somebody starting out right now for the first time doing, uh, doing Dafyomi? Uh, it's a lot of work. It's a big commitment, and you gotta you gotta really make it part of your routine. Um, but I would say stick stick to it. It's a huge reward. What's your plan if you miss a day or miss miss a, a group of days? What what are you what do you do to, to make those up? So I can speak from experience because it's happened a number of times. Um, that's what Shabbos is for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you're, you really gotta catch up. You gotta you know make the time and make yourself available to catch up. Otherwise. You fall behind and you're out. What's your choice of, of learning? Do you do by yourself with an art school or with a regular Gemara? Sheer, podcast, Dialadaf, what do you what do you do? So for a long time I was living in Queens and I was part of a Hevra there uh, that was led primarily by Baishi Schwerd. Uh, it was a phenomenal Sheer and he would really give more than just a regular daf. It was it, he would come with uh, you know seven, eight, nine pages of Mara Makomos and he gives that Sheer three times a week. Those shiurim really kept me through the rest of the week. Um, and during the rest of the week, I was doing it on my own via art scroll, or I was uh, doing uh, shiurim online. Now I'm in Fairlawn, and I'm trying to, trying to you know, see what the best route is for me there. All right, Josh, thanks for joining us. Mazel tov. Thank you so much. You know who else knew how important it is to highlight the accomplishment of the Messiah? The Aguda. And following the introduction of New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy... Rabbi Labish Lish told us the inspiring story of a young boy, and, well, I can't really do it justice. Let me let him tell you. Shimon Yehuda ben Rivke Yittel is a 10-year-old sweet child in Yeshiva's Beis Atoira in Lakewood, New Jersey. Three years ago, at the age of seven, Shimon Yehuda was found with a brain tumor. The situation was so tough that the doctors wouldn't even try. His father got advice of Rav Yitzchak Kaladetsky Shlita, the son-in-law of Moran Rav Chaim Kanievsky Shlita, that he should learn with him a masechta in his own time and then make a siyum. In the past three years, Shimon Yehuda went through a lot of surgeries and treatments, but he never gave up on his daily learning of Masechta's brachas. Day after day, in the most difficult times, before a painful surgery or after exhausting dose of chemotherapy, he would learn even for five minutes. It was tough, it was hard, but he wouldn't even skip a day. Five weeks ago, Tuesday, Parshas Chayesara, Shimon Yehuda traveled to Florida for a difficult surgical procedure. His mother prepared everything needed for the trip, but Shimon Yehuda also prepared himself. Yes, three days before he flew to Florida, he was zoichet to make his own siyam on the entire Masechta's brachas, which was celebrated with tremendous simcha. This is not just another siyam. This was a siyam of a Masechta learned with Mesiris Nefesh. The entire Pamalia Shelmala looked from above and called out to Hashem, how wonderful are your children, Am Yisrael. Shimon Yehuda Brodsky 
is here with us today. Please join me in giving Shimon Yehuda a truly well-deserved round of applause. Shimon Yehuda, you are a truly source of chizik to all of us. In the, by this gathering of Simchas Atayra, on behalf of the whole Klal Yisrael, I want to wish you that you should make a siyum on all your treatments and surgeries, and you should be zoichet to steig and make your own entire siyum ashas. Thank you. After the Novar Minsker Rebbe's address, they played a video called Heroes of the Daf, where they highlight what it means to learn the Daf. It's five o'clock in the morning. It's 20 below outside. I gotta get my car started. It's at the most unglamorous times where the godless Daf Yemi is realized. There's always a Daf that needs to be learned. No day can go by without learning Sarah. The most demanding harusa you can get is Dafyami. There's no being tired, there's no vacation, there's no Yom Kippur, no Tisha B'Av, there's nothing. You gotta do the Dafyami. It's like breathing. There's not a person that can say he took vacation of breathing. One of the and first you begin to learn how different people do the Daf and the variety of reasons individuals have for learning the Daf. I come from a very assimilated family. Coming from where I come, that I'm finishing the Shas. I didn't grow up religious, I'm about tshuva. I grew up in a secular school, and every day, you know, this thing keeps me really religious. If it wasn't from the Dafyomi, I wouldn't be learning that. And then, you hear this. A man cannot do the Daf without the support of his wife. Certainly to be part of any Dafyomi group, whether you're teaching it, whether you're learning it, of course it's Shali, Vishalachem, Shalahi, and they're as much a part of the Simcha as the men who are being the Messiah and having her support, knowing that she's holding down the fort while I'm spending time learning. It's a family endeavor. There's no greater nachas hearing from my three-year-old daughter every single day. Where's daddy going? And mommy says, daddy's going to shul to learn. So that got me thinking that I should hear what it's like as the wife of one of the Magideshir. Okay, I'm now here with Shoshana Jacobowitz, and I just wanted to get a little bit of a sense of the role that women have. Not necessarily if they're learning the Dafyomi, fine, that's up to you. I'm just curious for uh, encouragement of, of, the, of your husband to, uh, your husband gives a shear. So what role did you kind of play in that? So basically my role is making sure that my husband gets up on time to give the daf. I've been hearing a lot of that. So, <laughs> so what time is the Dafyomi shear in the morning? It's at 5.30. It's at 5.30, so that means... However early it is, you have to get up 15 minutes before your husband has to get up in order to make sure he gets up. Right. When I hear the alarm going and he's not getting up, so I just keep yelling his name and he finally gets up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When, when, when he first started giving the shear, what was your reaction to that? Um, I was very proud of him. I thought it was amazing that he's able to do that and um, because he was also started to work at that time. So to give a, a daf, a shear, and to be able to work, it was really amazing, especially for my kids to see that growing up. So how old was your kid, was, were kid or kids at the time when that started? <laughs> they were young. So my oldest was at three at that time. Oh, wow. So yeah. So This is already only, the fourth cycle. Right. So not only uh, did he start giving the daf shear when he first started to go and to profession, but also when he was a uh, father of little children. A lot of pressure to, to start that at that time, at that stage in your life. Yes, it is. But he was learning full-time first, and so to go straight 
to work without having that basis of learning was very difficult for him. So he chose to continue learning with working so that the learning part is, you know, part of his day. But to somebody who's just starting out now, they have all of these uh, responsibilities going on. How does one prioritize the needs for Dafyomi with the other requirements in the house and what role would somebody's wife play in that if, if that's the way that they chose to go? Well the truth is it's giving up time but it's not that much time because my husband does the learning in the morning which basically I'm not involved in and then at night so he goes out after supper so we do see him and then he's learning in between which is which is fine because you know when you're a mother and you're very busy with the kids you're not really anyway. If he's not going to be learning, he'll be doing something else. Right. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Shoshana Jacobowitz, thank you very much for joining me. Rabbi Yisachar Friend was up next. The Rosh Yeshiva of Ner Yisrael, Baltimore, explained just how far we've come since World War II. One of the first decrees that the Nazis, when they took over Poland, was that no exit visas be by Orthodox Jews would be accepted. The title that they gave from Jews was Talmud Lehrers, Talmud Teachers, and Talmudische Juden. They proclaimed, and listen to this, the learners and the teachers of the Talmud have the power to rebuild Judaism in America. And guess what? They were 100% correct. And you! are those Talmud lehrers and those Talmudische Juden. Next on the agenda was the Masmide HaSiyam. This was the Siyam made on Shas Mishnayis, made on behalf of children around the world. Rabbi Nussan Sherman, general editor of Art Scroll, made the Siyam. Le'motza HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kli Machzik Baruch Yisrael, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could not find a keli, a vessel, that would carry bracha for Klal Yisrael, Ela HaSholem. Only peace. That's it. When there's peace, all the brachas can be contained and remain. Shememar, as the Pasuk says, Hashem oiz li'amo yitain. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give strength to his people. Strength to Klal Yisrael. Hashem Yivorech es Amoy Basholem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bless his people with peace. He then delivered a message to all the children who were able to complete Shas Mishnayis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a keli, a vessel that holds brocher for Klal Yisrael. You want to see what that vessel is? Look around. Look around. Tens of thousands of Yidin here in Barclay Center all over the world listening to us. And why are we here? To give a cover to the Torah, cover to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Bachrim, you made a siyam of the Mishnah. You made an enormous Kiddush Hashem. Mazel tov Mazel tov to your parents. Mazel tov to you. Keep it up and keep on making siyumim. Mazel tov. Rabbi Chaim ben Alel, Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshivas Mikdash Melech, made the first Hadron of the evening. Hadron alach, seder ta'arot b'shiras, shita sidre mishnah, v'adrach alan, da'atan alach sidre ta'arot b'shita sidre mishnah, da'atach alan, 
לנית נשם אילך סדר טהרות בשיטה סידי משנה ולעתית נשם אילן This is the perfect time to show the generational power of the Siam. I found a father-son duo who are celebrating together. So I'm here now with a father and son duo, uh, Harold and Ari Lipsky. Uh, which one of you, if either one of you, have, have done the daf? I'm finishing the daf now. That was, that was Harold that says he's finishing the daf, so Mazel up to you. Thank you. And uh, Ari, which one by you? Right now, I'm um, basking in the inspiration of my father. So let me ask you a question, uh, Harold. Um, how difficult is it to get through the, the entire seven-and-a-half-year cycle? Well, I, did it, I actually did it in two cycles. I started and then uh, bailed after two, uh, two mesechtas and came back to it and did the last uh, six-and-a-half years on this cycle. It's difficult with work and family, but I managed to, uh, to get through it. That's amazing, that's amazing. Um, Ari, I understand that you're interested in starting uh, some sort of a shear on your own. Uh, what do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, the Daf Yomi program is amazing for those who can't necessarily commit to a Daf a day. Uh, Daf HaShavua has picked up in recent, uh, recent years in different communities, so to be able to start that for someone, to be able to learn even one Daf a week, be able to make a Kenyan to Hazara on that Daf is something that uh, perhaps those who can't necessarily commit Daf Yomi would be able to latch on to. That sounds amazing. I'd be very interested in joining something like that. All right. Thank you very much, Harold and Ari. Thank you very much. And uh, Mazatov. This was followed by a performance of Baruch Levine and several other singers of Vizakeni. Appropriately, I was then able to find yet another generational celebration of the Siam. I'm here with Avram Eliezer Friedman from North Miami Beach, Florida. Avram Eliezer, you flew in for this event. Why is it so special to be here that you had to fly in from, from North Miami Beach just to be here? Uh, seven and a half years ago, when I was watching the Siam, I kicked myself that how could I be thousands of miles away when uh, Gans Claudius was celebrating all together. And I said right then and there that in seven and a half years, I will be there come rain or shine. And here I am. And you brought your son with you. He's a little cold right now, but uh, how special is it to have him with here with you? It's actually funny, uh, seven and a half years ago, I said I really want to bring my son to the CM as well. The only problem was I didn't have a son at the time. And Baruch Hashem, I daven Hashem, and right in time I had a son, he's now six years old, and I was able to bring him. He is cold, but I want to teach him that Klal uh, Yisrael can join together as one in an amazing celebration of Kavod Torah, and uh, no better way to show it to him than to bring him to here right now. Yes, he's cold right now, he's uncomfortable, but it's a memory he'll never forget. Not only that, but I see your father's here as well. So you have three generations of Friedman family from, from different states across the country. This is correct. When I asked my father if he would join us, he, uh, he wasn't so thrilled about having to travel and all that. But I told him that I wanted him to come for my son. And that's ultimately what uh, helped make that decision to actually come. Very good. Mazel tov to everybody involved. Following the speech entirely in Yiddish of Rabbi Aaron Schiff, chief rabbi of Antwerp, we cut to a celebration featuring Rav Chaim Kanievsky in Bnei Brak who had the line of the night. When asked to give a bracha to the thousands of Jews around the world who finished Shas, Rav Kanievsky answered, 
that they should know Shas. Good luck to all those who finish Shas. Now do it be in. Rav Ruvain Feinstein then read a letter from Rav Kanievsky, where he expanded on that bracha. We should mention that the letter is in Hebrew, and you'll hear Rav Ruvain in the background, but mostly you'll be hearing a translator. We hope and we dab into HaKadosh Baruch Hu that those who are learning Daf Yomi should multiply. Thousands of times more people should learn Daf Yomi, and the world should be full of knowledge, intimate knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And certainly through those who learn one daf and another daf and review the daf and sharpen their understanding of the daf, in the end, all the learners will know all of Torah Be'ezra Hashem. And it says in the Medrash Hashirim that the foolish person says, how could one learn the whole Torah? The Zikin is 30 chapters, Caleb is 30 chapters, but the wise person says, I will learn two laws today, I will learn two laws tomorrow until I cover the entire Torah. Let it be the will that we should be zeichet to know the entire Torah, and I bench all those who learn that fiyomi to begin, who begin and end, and all those who help should be zeichet to be successful in spiritual, spiritually and physically. The scene continued with another inspirational story. This time of a man with a severely debilitating disease. This story is so moving. I thought we'd play it in its entirety. Here's a Shlomo Farhi. Rav of the Edmund J. Safra Synagogue in the Upper East Side. Mr. Mendy Rosenberg is a name that not everyone here knows, but they should. If we are gathered here today to celebrate the fierce determination and tremendous accomplishment of finishing all of Shas, then perhaps we should learn his name to understand what true, unadulterated Misirut Nefesh looks like. Seven and a half years ago, in this very spot, a man sat here witnessing the committed achievement of the Misaimim, the finishers of the entire Talmud Bavli. And he was blown away, just like the rest of us. But Mendy is not like the rest of us. You see, Mendy has ALS, a relentless and irreversible disease. It shuts the body down muscle by muscle until one is completely paralyzed, frozen, the last things ALS patients can control are their minds and their eyes. At the CM in 2012, Mendy was three years into a disease that has a life expectancy of four years. Yet Mendy resolutely decided, ALS or not, that next CM he would not be here as an observer, but as a champion. Mendy left with a plan. But six months later, Mendy was frozen, unable to move, eat, or even breathe on his own. How could he possibly reach his goal now? Most people would give in or give up, but not Mendy. His mind and his eyes still worked, and that would have to be enough. Yeshuat Hashem Keheref Ain. The salvation of Hashem comes in the blink of an eye, literally. Mendy got a specialized computer system that tracks his every eye movement. Using just his eyes, he argues with his chavruta, navigates Torah websites online, finishes the daf multiple times daily. He studies Torah morning to night. Whatever it takes. His tzadeket of a wife, Malki, is sure that the zechut of his daf learning is what keeps him going. And I think we all agree with her. Ki hem chayenu ve'orech yamenu 
Torah is our life and the length of our days. It has been 2,711 days since that day, and Mendy has not missed a single day. Today, Mendy has finished Shas. If he made it, what is our excuse? If we put our heart and minds into it, what could we achieve? Whatever it takes. What are you leaving today with? Mendy, I'm going to ask 100,000 people here today and the million people tuning in around the world to say a hearty amen to the following berakah. Kishem she'azarto v'sayem Talmud Bavli. Just as you have helped him finish all of Shas, Ken ta'azreu le'atchil masechtot u'sfarim acherim u'lesayemam. Thank you for the zechus. Thank you for the chizuk, Reb Mendi, and mazel tov to the entire Rosenberg family. At the core of those who learn Dafyomi is the daily Dafyomi shir, which are attended by thousands around the world every day. Those who give the Dafyomi shir hold a special place in the success of so many, and we were able to grab a few minutes with one of them. I'm now here with Moshe Jacobowitz, who is a Magad shir for Dafyomi. Um, Moshe, so how long have you been uh, a Magad shir of Dafyomi? I. Uh started giving Daf Yomi in actually 1990. I was coming back from Eretz Yisrael and uh, was learning all day in Eretz Yisrael from, in Kailo and I had to come back to the United States to be able to support my family, my growing family at the time. And I was looking for a venue where I could be connected, involved and stay in learning even though I had to interrupt my day with going to work. So Daf Yomi seemed to be a perfect idea. And then, I actually, I was offered, when I asked Ramosha Haberstadt when he was giving Daf Yomi, he says, I actually can't make it, but why don't you give it for me? I, I wasn't actually, I said, you know what, why not try it? And that's when I tried it, and I couldn't stop since then. So now, four cycles later, I'm here at MetLife Stadium with thousands of people that study it, the Daf, and of course, we have tremendous appreciation that I good for making it all organized and comfortable. Yes, they do an absolutely tremendous job. So we're sitting here looking out onto the stadium right now where tens of thousands of Jews are filling up the seats. So tell, talk a little bit about this type of an occasion that allows this many uh, Jews to be packed into one stadium at a time. Um, looking at the stadium, I'm not a sports fan, and um, so I really don't go to stadiums very often at all. I can't even remember. Definitely the last time I was here in MetLife was seven and a half years ago. And I almost feel like God made sure that this stadium would be put in this location for this one day. I look at the weather and I say the weather is holding up. It could have been a lot colder. And then I look and that's God's way of saying I'm so proud of my people. And I look around and I see men, women, children, adults, elderly, all organized. There's no pushing. Everybody's kind. Regardless of their kind of hat they wear, regardless of the kind of shul that they dive in, the Nusach, Svat, Ashkenaz, Israeli, American, everybody is here with that unbelievable sense of community. We're all one because the daf brings us all together. We're all connected through the daf, even if we're not learning. This. Many people here are not learning. 
the full the daf schedule. But they're learning that they're learning a daf somewhere, and they're happy and they celebrate with those people that finish. It is the most feeling of I'm so proud to be part of it. So let me ask you one more question. As somebody has now done this four cycles straight and been a Magid Shir for, for four cycles, um, what advice might you give to somebody who's just starting out now for the first time that may find it difficult to get through, forget one cycle, one Misachta? Okay. Uh, first of all, I, I, when I started, there was definitely, there wasn't even art scroll. So there are so many venues to make learning the daf easier from apps on the phone, English books, there is so much available. Take advantage of it. Don't ever be, uh, if you're really yeshivish and you, you know you never felt comfortable opening up something uh, that's English or one of the Shinantam or any other book, do not feel embarrassed. Just do it because you gotta, you gotta be committed. Second of all is don't be embarrassed to be at a chasana. I'll just give you one advice, which I feel personally, there's an app on the phone, there's very few, you could put it on your phone, and when you're at a chasana, there's so much downtime. There's downtime when you're at parties. There's downtime when you're, when you're traveling. Use the downtime to get another few lines in to review. Being, learning that part of the Dafyoni program is like being on a treadmill. It goes, and if you're on it, you're gonna go with it. Just let it go with you and take the first 30 days are going to be very difficult. The next 30 days is going to get a little easier. It does get easier. If you fall really behind, you might want to jump again on. Try not to do it too much so you get that feeling of satisfaction. But just do it, and, and you'll see that your life will change. Your connection, your davening, everything will, will be different if you're connected to something which is a constant learning daily without any interruption. Mr. Jacobowitz, thank you so much for joining us. The next video presentation was an explanation of the role of the art scroll Schattenstein Gemara and was summed up beautifully by Rav David Kohn. The Hatzlocha of Dafyaimi is because there was art scroll. That's clear as day to anyone who's an honest person knows that without art scroll, Dafyaimi would not have achieved the popularity that it did. This was followed by a message from Rabbi Pesach Kron, who told a story that took place in the DP camps following World War II. And he explained the history of the actual safer that was to be used to complete the Siyam Ashas. In a few moments, we are going to be Messiah Shas with this Gemara. This precious Gemara is one of the only ones that's left from the DP camps. By making a Siyam Ashas with this Gemara, we make a bridge to the difficult past, but we also make a commitment to the future. And with that, we're ready for the Siam. Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva of Philadelphia, was honored with being Messiah Shas. If you learn halachas every day, because you learn every day halachas. That we thank, we thank the Rabbeinu Shalom that he gave us a seal to tell us that we are accepting anew again. That's what we have to be. The Talmud Babli, the Talmud Babli, the Talmud Babli. 
and Jay Schottenstein ended it all off with Kaddish. It was now time to celebrate. We would be remiss if we missed out on the opportunity to discuss the CM with someone who helped make the whole day possible. So that's just what we did. So I'm now standing with Leah Zagobaum, who is the Vice President of Media Affairs for the Agoda. Thank you so much for joining me. My honor. It's a great day for the Agoda, a great day for everybody involved. Uh, congratulations on putting together such an amazing event. We're standing here, we're looking out on the CM as it's going on, we're at, at a bunch of the presentations. Can you talk a little bit about how much work goes in behind the scenes to make an event like this come to light? If I hadn't been part of it, I wouldn't have believed it. The people who worked on this event, from the board down to the secretaries, spent approximately two years working. And the beginning, it was just a full-time job, and then it picked up steam. And the last couple of months, I don't think anybody got any sleep at all. There were all-nighters going on. I mean, when you can have pizza and music in the office at 4 o'clock in the morning, um, ironing out details, that's on one level. But the board was meeting every week they were reviewing every element of the program and the technical details and they were here at the stadium and they were coordinating national events it was an amazing undertaking and what about for you personally do you have any additional personal things that you can tell us about the coordination or the day of things that might happen that people might appreciate hearing uh, a story here or there that might have happened over the course of the uh, prep for the event? Oh, there are so many. You know, when you say personal, the first thing that I think of is that just standing here talking to you means that we're not fully absorbing sitting in the stands and being out among the people. And I think that the people who are just sitting and letting it wash over them have this simcha satira and this culmination of so much learning. It's a very special piece. But everywhere you turn, there's another story. Here in the press room, we have the ability to be Mikadashem Shemayim with members of press from all sorts of networks, from TV stations, radio stations, a podcast like yourself, secular print, national print. We had the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Hamodia, the Ami, the Mishpacha. It's, it's an opportunity to put our best foot forward and share who we are with the world. Um, then you go downstairs to the band and there's stories being written every minute from so many different perspectives and that all adds to the energy of the celebration. So now that basically the much of the hard work has passed you. I'm assuming there's still a lot to do in the, uh, I guess, the aftermath of, of the Siam. But now that much of the hard work, and you mentioned now that the long nights, the months of, of prep, maybe years at this point, is behind you. What's, what's next? What's, what's for the, what, what, what are we looking for in the future for the Siam and for the Aguda in general? That's a great question, Izzo, because we look at this Siam, it's just the beginning. It is the culmination of learning, but it's also the beginning of a whole new phase of learning, whether it's Dafyomi, Chavriya Siam, Asmidia Hasiam. But the way I look at it as the Vice President of Media Affairs is also it's the ability for Agudas Yisrael to put its best foot forward and make a difference in the world arena. All the work that our regional directors do around the country in school choice and funding for yeshivas and the government advocacy work that our different 
um, branches do in the whatever event and whatever departments. This now is the ability to move forward and do better and do more and hopefully more people who have been exposed to who we are and, and what we do will join us and help us and together we can build something that we can um, be even more proud of going into the future. That's amazing. So seven and a half years from now, let's say the spring of 2027, we're looking right at... Right before Shavuos. Right before Shavuos. We're looking at another one. And I don't want to get people scared already because that's still a long way to go. But this year, we got the ability to sell out basically uh, MetLife Stadium and probably the Barclays Center. I mean, I'm not there right now to look at it, but I'm assuming it's mostly sold out or close to it. In seven and a half years now, we're looking maybe at a warm weather time when maybe these two venues aren't going to hold. These two venues aren't going to have to hold because the way I'm planning it, we're going to be in Yerushalayim. <laughs> Mashiach will be here. Absolutely. We will have the venue that we need to bring all of Klai Yisrael together to celebrate. I'm imagining that the Aguda will still be organizing the event and together with a Cracker Jack team of people who have done this a few times already. And I just am going to be davening that HaKadosh Baruch should have nachas from us then and he should have nachas from us now. That's an amazing way to put it. Thank you very much, Leah Zegelbaum. And just like on Simchas Torah, when we begin laning Parsha Spiratius right after we finish Vizos HaBracha, Rav Aaron Feld and Rosh Hashiva of Ner Yisrael of Baltimore began Mesechas Brachos right after the Hadron. When do we start reading the Shema in the evenings? From the time that the Kohenim begin eating the Truma, if they had to be toivel in a mikveh during the day, until the first third of the night. Why doesn't the Mishnah say from the time that night falls? Why does it say, why do we give the time as related to the time when Kohenim can eat the Truma? Following the beginning of Brachos came yet another story about one man's journey to completing Shas. Here's Rabbi Yoel Gold. 14 years ago, Rabbi Yanki Lefkowitz and his 12-year-old son, Aaron, drove from Baltimore to Madison Square Garden for the Siyam Ashas. When they arrived at the Siyam, Rabbi Yanki wanted to take his son down to the dais to receive brachas from the Gedolim for his upcoming bar mitzvah. But after a three-hour drive, Aaron had no energy to push his way up front until... His father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. He said, Aaron, if you come with me right now, you join me and take advantage of this opportunity, I promise you I'll buy you a special gift. Whatever you want, you name it, you got it. Aaron's face lit up. He took his father's hand and joined them down to the dais and they received many brachas. On their way home, Aaron was in a reflective mood. He was very quiet. He didn't say much the entire ride. But five minutes before Bianchi pulled into the driveway, Aaron turned to his father and he said, Tati, I've been thinking a lot about what I want for my gift. I know exactly what I want for my gift. I want you to start learning Dafa Yoimi and make a Siyam Asha. So the next time you come to the Siyam, we don't just participate, but we celebrate your own Siyam Ashas. Rabianki almost crashed his car. He couldn't believe his ears. From everything his son could have asked for, he wanted him 
to commit to learning Dafayoimi, he promised Aaron that as soon as they get home, he'll open a Gemara Brachis to Daf Beis and begin Me'emesai Kayon as Shema. And true to his word, the next seven and a half years, Rabbi learned Dafayoimi every single day. And Aaron checked in with his father to see how he's doing. And when Rabbi encountered a difficult Daf Gemara, he remembered his promise to his son. And true to his word, seven and a half years later, in this stadium, Rabbi handed Aaron the ultimate gift. The gift of his very first Siem Hashas. Today, Rabbi is here with his family. He's here with his father, Rabbi Yehuda Lefkowitz, who finished Shas four times. And he's here with Aaron. And Rabbi is gearing up and getting ready to start Dafayoimi again. But this time, he's not starting it alone. He's starting the very first Mishnah together with Aaron. A few days ago, my kids asked me, Tati, what are you going to say to see him? I shot to 95,000 people. And I shared with them this story. And one of my sons said to me, half jokingly, but half seriously, Tati, I know what I want for my Hanukkah gift this year. My friends, the greatest gift you can give to your children is committing yourself to Torah every single day. Like Mr. Seeger, who needed a babakama, our children need to see us devoted, committed with consistency to Dafayoimi. And there's no doubt in my mind, when they see that, we won't just be celebrating our Siyam, but in the years to come, we'll be celebrating our children's Siyam as well. Next, the program shifted to a more somber tone and perhaps the most moving portion of the program. This was the remembrance of the six million Kedoshim who perished in the Holocaust. While we won't play the whole thing here, I urge you to go online and find the video. It's extremely moving and well worth your time. We would just like to leave you with the thoughts of a number of the survivors interviewed for this presentation. Baruch Hashem, I'm going to the Simashas with four generations. This is the, the greatest thing that it could happen to me because this shows Neitzach Yisrael Yashuk. I see every baby born, every Tafkamura learn, and Hitler. All you people that are here gathered at the Sea of Ashash, you cannot imagine or fathom what a feeling it is for me. I watched you and I said, wait a second, did I survive for a purpose? Here it is, in this stadium, is Mamish Akidish Hashem. And I wish you all to be able to assign the next CMSS together. And I wish you to give us strength and longevity to have nachos from the kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids. And the moving Kamale by Chazen Yitzchak Mayor Helfgott brought those remaining to a complete standstill.
With Marev's conclusion, the 13th Global CMHS came to an end. For those in attendance from around the world who braved the cold and remained in an open-air stadium for the full three-hour event, you had a tremendously moving experience that this show could not come close to recreating. And you got to see Waldo. For those unable to attend or watch the live stream online, we hope that this episode gave you a little taste of what occurred on New Year's Day. If you're interested in more, the full program is available on YouTube. We would like to extend a thank you to all those who agreed to be interviewed for this episode, and a special thank you to the Aguda for the accommodations they made for this show to be possible. If you're interested in hearing the history of the Dafyomi and the amount of prep work that went into this event, please check out episode 15, The Siam, with Executive Director of Aguda Yisrael of America, Rabbi Leibish Becker. As I mentioned in that episode, for those who just completed Shas, from all of us here at the Jewish Living Podcast, the grandest of Mazel Tovs. For those just starting out now, I hope you haven't given up yet, and we wish you much Hatzlacha on your Dafyomi endeavors. And to everyone, Kol Tov. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Sroli Pikes. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg from Journeys 4. You can email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Jewish underscore living. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.